Suzanne, and good morning again. Good morning to everybody that's logging into Facebook or onto YouTube later. Good to have you with us uh, today, as always. And uh, let's see here. Uh, before we get started with uh, Children's Church uh, to dismiss, of course, we know this past Friday uh, was uh, Veterans Day. We celebrate our uh, men and women uh, who uh, served this country in the past and currently as well. So uh, uh, I would, and we have a good group of veterans with us today, I would like to ask that these men or women would stand to be recognized as I call off your uh, branch of service, please. So if you served in the United States Army, uh, we ask that you please stand. United States Air Force, United States Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. And these men, we are grateful for your service. Let's give them a round of applause. As we do that, I'll ask that you would join me in standing, and we will say a Pledge of Allegiance. If you would, please stand for the pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You may be seated. And children 12 and under can go over and dismiss for uh, Children's Church. And as they're heading over for that, if you want to go ahead and mark in your hymnals, uh, number 178, Almost Persuaded. Almost Persuaded. So we use that as our hymn of invitation this morning. Yes, ma'am. All right. All right. Look forward. And thank you for your help in preparations for that uh, Operation Christmas Child packing uh, party we're having. And uh, certainly it was appreciated. All right. Well, throughout this nation, uh, around the world in many respects, wherever our nation's flag does fly, some people at least paused Friday to remember the price that has been paid for the freedoms that we enjoy. On November the 19th, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln, while at uh, the battlefield at Gettysburg to dedicate a portion of that land as a national cemetery, spoke these words in part at this, what we know as the Gettysburg Address. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here but we can never forget what they did here it is for us the living rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus so far nobly advanced it is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation under God 
shall have a new birth of freedom and that the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. And Gettysburg does not stand alone in our memories of veterans. That pledge that he calls for us to, to take forward, it's even valid in today. Uh, it would be, it would fail really if we did not mention places like Valley Forge, Flanders Field, Omaha Beach, Iwo Jima, the Chosin Valley, or Reservoir rather, Pork Chop Hill, Fallujah, and Kabul. Folks, we have to realize that freedom, that if freedom is to be carried from generation to generation, it is our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren uh, for them to enjoy that. That generation, each subsequent generation must be willing to pay that price. And as long as we have those that are willing to do that, we will enjoy the freedoms that we do. And from that, freedom is never free. And that's the title of this morning's sermon. Because we as Christians also, I want us to be reminded of something else. Forgiveness is not free. Just as our freedom comes with the price, so does that forgiveness. We have to remember that. And this morning I want us to look at an example of devotion to forgiveness. Uh, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles over to chapter 7 of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this passage is uh, verses 36 through 50. I'm not going to read them all at one time. We will just work our way through these as we go through this example here. This will be one that we're not unfamiliar with, but oftentimes we don't look at it as an example of devotion. In Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36 through 39, we're about to see that there is a meeting with Jesus. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and sat down to meet, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the meet with the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. Now, obviously it says here that the Pharisee had invited Jesus into his home for, for dinner, for supper, whatever you want to call that particular meal. And we see that Jesus accepted this invitation to come into his home. And it was normal for that culture and that time, a normal custom for an invited guest to be welcomed into the home, their feet be washed, there would be the anointing of oil, uh, maybe on their head. Uh, not that familiar with the custom, but that's what it seems to be. Uh, those customs we don't follow, do we? in our homes today. Uh, we would have a lot less invited guests if we were required to wash everybody's feet that came into our house, wouldn't we? So we do something that takes a little less commitment, don't we? We invite them in and, 
and we give them a choice seat. We'll offer them something to drink, maybe a snack. If we've invited them over, over for, uh, for supper, uh, we'll make sure that uh, they're served first, right? And that they're well fed and, and make sure that they have all that they all that they want and that's the custom that we have of welcoming here in this world today but something maybe you've not noticed at this point or maybe even never given thought to this was the home of the pharisee his name's simon we'll find that out here shortly but this is his home and she was allowed in i don't know if they had had some kind of previous experience with her before because we know what's what Simon the Pharisee thought about this woman that she was a sinner and he made that note in his mind but he must have known her from somewhere she was allowed to come into his house and she was actually the one who did the welcoming of Jesus the custom of having him in the house and they because we got to remember now even though Simon did invite Jesus into the house, he was a Pharisee and they saw Jesus as their enemy. Maybe not all of them, of course, but most of them resented Jesus, resented his teachings. But yet this Pharisee invited Jesus into his home. Not sure why. Maybe to trick him. Maybe he was sincere. Maybe he wanted to hear more of his teachings in the privacy of his own home where he wouldn't fall under the scrutiny of the other Pharisees. We could give him the benefit of that doubt. But Jesus accepted the invitation. But yet, though this Pharisee extended the invitation, Jesus was not welcomed in the usual fashion. And sometimes we think about that ourselves, don't we? Or we can think about that, that we, that we may invite someone into our home, never really, uh, or to our church, rather, never really expecting them to accept the invitation and maybe there are those of those people out there that that desire to be invited to church that we never extend the invitation to and I think we see that here in both cases maybe the Pharisee didn't think that Jesus would actually accept the invitation and certainly the woman who was a sinner was never going to be extended an invitation from this Pharisee to come into my home and dine with me dying with my family, whatever that would have been. And we can use this, just these beginning verses of this section here about devotion and forgiveness and hypocrisy to give us a little wake-up call to realize that there are people out there in the world that we encounter each and every day that are just like what we see here. There are people out there each and every day that desires to get closer and to know Jesus a little closer and maybe all that that would mean was an invitation from someone who knew him. And then there's also people that invite Jesus into their home for all the wrong reasons. There's people that invite Jesus into their home only to get the advantage of what they think would help externally. They have no real desire to know Jesus. So we can see that here with this meeting with Jesus. And as we continue on in verses 39 and 40, we're going to see that uh, there is judgment by that hypocrite or by a hypocrite. It says, Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him at Simon saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, 
if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. You ever think that, that Jesus, that the Lord doesn't know what's going on in our hearts and our minds when what we think about people? This should be a little proof to you that he does. Should be a little proof to you about that because that's exactly what happened. Because it says that he said unto himself, now maybe, maybe mumbled it under his breath, maybe just said it to himself or just thought it to himself, but nonetheless Jesus knew what he said. And he said, Simon, I want to have a little talk with you. So what we see here, Simon knew what kind of woman she was. So he judges her, doesn't he? She is a sinner. But who else does Simon judge? Simon judges Jesus. He assumes Jesus, in not stopping her, is condoning her immorality. Well, this man's really a prophet. He should know what type of woman this is that touches him. She's a sinner. She's an immoral woman. Jesus knows what Simon's thinking. And Jesus knew more about her than Simon did. Because all that, all that Simon saw when he seen this woman was a prostitute, a sinner, a moral woman. That's all he could see. That's all he could see past. He couldn't see past the external. He couldn't see past the, the past life that she had led. He couldn't see past the rumors. He couldn't see past the whisperings. All he could see was the things that she was guilty of. But Jesus was able to see more than that. Jesus saw a repentant woman, a repentant sinner, a precious soul seeking some way to express her love and gratitude and appreciation for what Jesus came to mean to her. Now, how is it that she knew about Jesus? The Bible doesn't really tell us. But I think it would be reasonable to say she'd probably either heard him preach. She may have witnessed a miracle. She may have had family or friends that had witnessed a miracle that she trusted. Somewhere along the line, she had an encounter with Jesus that changed this woman's life. We see here that Simon doesn't benefit from that, the encounter from Jesus that they had had in the past. They didn't change Jesus' life, or didn't change the Pharisees' life, or Simon anyway. But it's reasonable to think that when she came, she came as a woman who was repentant. And I want us to remember and be encouraged that we never sit in judgment of those who repent of their sins and come to Jesus. Because we will be just like Simon. Unable to get past all that we know in the past. That we, we ourselves are so willing to condemn other people. But we do not allow ourselves to be judged by that same measure. Because we all have a past, don't we? We all have a past that, that we lived before Jesus. But once we meet Jesus and that change is made, that that repentance is brought about, that past, the scriptures tells us, is his goal. As far as the east is from the west, isn't it? Never to be brought to mind anymore. The past is gone for Jesus. But for those of us who like to sit in judgment of other people like Simon, we never allow that past to die. 
We want to hold them and keep them trapped in their past sins, never allowing them to advance forward in relationship with God, always keeping them under the, our control of reminding them of their past failures. Ooh, that's a sad thing to think about, isn't it? But that's exactly what we see happening here. That's exactly what we see when you are judged by a hypocrite because there are people here in Kiwi. There are people here in Kiwi that have, have lived a life as such, maybe not like what this woman is, but they're known by their deeds, and their deeds are, are maybe unlawful, or maybe they're kind of a, what we used to call an outlaw in the way that they live. And if, if any of those came repentant to Jesus, if they came in these side these doors seeking out Jesus with a broken heart because of their sin, wanting to repent of that, how would we receive them? Would we receive them as Jesus received this woman, or would we be more look more like Simon to receive that person? Something to think about. Let's never strive to, or let's strive to never allow that to happen. And then, how does Jesus react? Simon, let me tell you a little story. Verses forty-one through forty-three. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged Jesus said one of these this we had a money lender that uh, 500 denarii and 50 denarii well that's uh, from according to the chart in my Bible and at the monetary value that it was listed at that time it's about 32 bucks a little denarii so about sixteen hundred dollars for one person and sixteen thousand dollars for another person and that's a day's wage at that time. And if you calculate that down, that's about four bucks an hour if it's an eight-hour day. So one person owed him a couple of weeks' worth of work, and one owed him a couple of years' worth of work. When we think about the amount of money and how that breaks down for these folks, and Jesus compares that that way so that Simon can understand. Now, maybe Simon's going... What has this got to do with anything? Why is he telling me about money changers? Money changers, I know, they don't have any trouble collecting debt because they will bring them before the courts and we will make a judgment that they either pay or they're cast into to prison until they can pay. That's how they dealt with them. So maybe Simon's a little confused, but he answers the question anyway. The one that forgave the most the one that was forgiven the most. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. And we must think about this in the same way because that's what Jesus is trying to get his point across to Simon. Have we not all sinned? Yes, maybe there's some people that have sinned more than others. We like to classify sins and say, uh, they sinned worse than I did. 
I've never seen that classification list in any, anywhere in the Bible. Sin is sin. My sin is great. Your sin is great. And we see that here being the case. Whether you owe someone two years worth of labor, if you owe someone two weeks worth of labor, if they forgive you of all of those debts, they have forgiven you all that you owed. And in the same way that what Jesus is trying to relate to Simon here is, regardless of the amount of sin this woman has, I have the power to forgive her. We'll see that here shortly. And that's what he's trying to get him to think. And that's what we have to remember and understand as well. We've all sinned. And we can't pay it back. We can't pay that debt back. You can't pay it back with money. You can't pay it back with work. And you can't pay it back with outward deeds. A sin debt is a debt that is no way to ever be repaid by the person that is in debt. Ever. And he turns this on around after he gets him to answer. And he says pretty much, well, what have you done? Look at verses 44 through 46 as we continue. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, so we can kind of get it in our mind's eye, Simon, wherever he was sitting, he turns and looks at this woman and he says these words. See us this woman, or see us thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time that I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. So who's he talking about there? Who's he turning that back to when he says that? He, he knows and realizes and understands and recognizes this woman had great sin, but look at the great love and the great outpouring of repentance that she has displayed right here in front of him and all the other guests in the house. But yet Simon and all of us guilty of same, the same crime, which is sin, has little remorse. To no remorse. And that's what we see. Only judgment is what we see here out of Simon. So Jesus, not being a stranger to the customs of being welcomed into a home, and this woman fulfilled those customs with weeping and tears of repentance. Simon, no repentance seen, though he was just as wrong as well. Maybe more. It was his house, wasn't it? And it brings to mind where Jesus says that I should worry more about the beam that is in my own eye than the speck that is in your eye. I have to look first at myself and see what kind of sin debt I carry before I worry about your sin debt. Because ultimately, I'm going to be judged on my sin debt and not yours. 
and you will be judged on your sin debt and not my judgment of you. And that's how we have to look at this, folks, and remember that. Because I hope we never allow ourselves to get to the point where we believe that we have no sin in our life. To the point where we are not daily asking for forgiveness for the failures of our daily life. And not only just wrote and wrote asking this out of habit each and every day. Understand that when we ask for forgiveness, there's a reason that I have to ask for forgiveness. I'm not just throwing out something there for a, for a blanket coverage of things in a prayer. I'm asking for forgiveness, and I'm speaking about myself now, folks. I'm not projecting my life on you. For me, when I ask for forgiveness each and every day, it's because I acknowledge the fact that I'm still not there yet, that I have sins and shortcomings in my life that I have to overcome, and I expect that I will have to deal with those as long as I'm drawing a breath on this earth. But I know it, and I work toward it each and every day. Simon didn't. Simon, Simon thought he had it now. You know, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so good. You're so lucky to have me on your team. I can help you judge these people. But Jesus is saying, not so, Simon. This lady whose sin was great showed much love toward me. How much love have you shown toward me? He asked. So here's some, some things that we can take from this. Because apparently Simon was at that point where he was up here and she was down here. Every person in this room is in debt to society. We are all debtors. We're in debt to our society, our nation, and to God. And it isn't, uh, sometimes we think about it, it's easy to forget about indebtedness when we think about that. But to those who paid the price for freedom for us, it's easy to come into to God's house each and every time that we have worship service and we sit down and we, we sing our songs, we open our Bibles, uh, but we forget about the pilgrims that first came across the ocean and set their foot upon this land for the glory of God in the advancement of the Christian faith. It's easy to forget about that we have debt to them. We celebrate material blessings that God has given to us and forget about the blood that was shed so that the stars and stripes could fly in a breeze. That we could still enjoy the freedom that we as the citizens of the United States of America enjoy. To this day, we owe a great debt to those who have gone on before us, for those men and women who have served before us. We owe a great debt to God who has redeemed and forgiven us through the blood and sacrifice of his Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are all in debt, and it is a debt that we can none here pay. If my creditors were to all decide to get together and say, Rob, you have till the Friday of next week to pay every dime that you owe each and every one of us, 
I'd be in trouble because I don't have enough money in the bank to pay all of the bills, all of my debts. Now I can whittle away at them. Don't get, don't want you to get alarmed. I'm set up on payments, fine. I'm doing just fine. But if they all called in their debt all at the same time, I'd be in trouble because I just don't have it. I don't have it. And that's what we have to understand about being in debt. When we think about the debt that we owe our forefathers, we have to realize and understand it's a debt that we cannot pay. When we think about the debt that we owe all of the men and the women who have willingly served this nation, it is a debt that we cannot pay. When we think about what we owe God, when I think about what I myself owe God for the price that he paid for my sin, my debts of sin, I can't pay that either. Because forgiveness, and we have to remember this, is available for everyone. Look at verse 48 with me. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. Jesus said that to this lady, that her sins were forgiven. What she did was not why they were forgiven. No, what she did was the gratitude that she expressed because they were forgiven. She wasn't forgiven because she came in and, and used an alabaster box or a very expensive ointment and, and, and anointed Jesus' feet. She wasn't forgiven of her sins because she washed his feet with her tears and, and wiped her, his feet dry with her hair. She was forgiven of her debt sin because that's the measure of Jesus' full devotion to us. When he went to the cross and died on the cross, that was the measure of full devotion to God's plan. That's why she was forgiven her sins, and that's why we are forgiven our sins. Not anything that I can do, nothing that I can do can pay that sin debt. Only the grace of God. Our veterans displayed that full measure as well. We don't oftentimes think about that, and I don't mean to diminish anyone's service or to lift up anyone's service. But each and every man and woman that has ever taken the oath and has put on a uniform has put out the full measure of devotion to this nation's freedom, whether they were required their life or not. And that's what we have to remember as citizens of this country. We always, on Memorial Day, remember those that gave their life in defense of this country. Veterans Day is that we may acknowledge, just as this lady acknowledged to Jesus that her sins were forgiven, Veterans Day is that we may acknowledge that you men and women that have worn this uniform gave the full measure of devotion even up to, if required, your life for, to, to secure my freedoms. That's what Veterans Day is. And that's a debt we can't repay. We can thank someone. We can show someone our gratitude. We can never repay that. Except with our full measure of devotion. Our full measure of devotion can pay that forward for the next generation for our freedoms. That's how it's paid. So I say this today to our veterans. Thank you for securing 
the freedoms this nation enjoys. And I say this to God, our Father. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for giving him as payment for my sin of debt. To both, I cannot repay. But I will be forever grateful to your devotion. And let me say this to all Christians today. In the times and days that we find ourselves living in, it is our full measure of devotion will be required in service of our Lord. I think we see tougher times ahead. I think we're going to see tougher economic times ahead. I think we're going to see times of persecution ahead. And we must ourselves be fully devoted to serving a loving God, a caring God, one that cares so much that he gave his only begotten son so that our sin debt would be paid. And I want to encourage you to do that. And if you're here this morning and you never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, his full measure of devotion shows how much that he loves and cares for you. And he did that so that you may have the hope of eternal life, so that you may be like this woman, never trapped forever in your sin by being unforgiven by those walking about because we don't judge you on judgment day. You're not going to stand before me. You're not going to stand before Harold Bales. You're not going to stand before any elder that's ever served here. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And he's either going to say, I know him or I don't know him. And that's all that matters, folks, is that you know Jesus as your Savior. So I want to encourage you that if what you've heard, you believe. And if what you believe has caused your heart to turn like this woman's heart turned, I want you to repent just like it says in the Scriptures. And I want you to come forward and I want to take your, I want to be privileged to take your confession of faith. And then, having heard that, be honored to, to bury you with the Lord in the likeness of his death, raise that new creation in baptism. You're going to receive the forgiveness of sins. You're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide you as we serve fully devoted. Now, maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian for a week. Maybe you've been a Christian for 50 years and you realize I've not given the Lord my full measure of devotion. I want to encourage you this morning to work toward that goal. Devote yourself in as much as God has devoted his son to us. We're going to sing this hymn of invitation almost persuaded this morning. The first and the second verse. If you have a decision to make, I want to encourage you to come as we stand and sing. 178, almost persuaded, the first and the second verse. Mm -hmm. 